0: It's Saturday mornings, can we both be silly, and radical? Was it, go. it wasn't good cause we were young? Was it wasn't good cause we were dumb? Do we think it suddenly suck? Now we're jaded and all grown up There was so much that we loved Do we think it'll make me cut? Will it be a battle set will it be fun? Decades later when I still the hold up This is when we
1: Friends, and welcome to When We Were Young, the happy, wholesome podcast that's all about love, laughter, and good old fashioned family values. Sponsored by (laughs) Philip Morris, America's most enjoyable cigarette. (laughs) Philip Morris is everything you ever wanted in a cigarette tasty mildness, rich flavor, pleasant aroma. Philip Morris, and only Philip Morris, is entirely free of a source of irritation used in all other leading cigarettes and is recommended by eminent nose and throat specialists. Start smoking for pleasure today with no cigarette hangover tomorrow. (laughs) Call for Philip Morris cigarettes, America's most enjoyable cigarette.
2: I'm uncomfortable already. (laughs) Chris, are you getting podcast sponsorships like away from us? What is happening here?
1: Yeah, we're getting a million dollars a year from Philip Morris now.
2: We had big tobacco money this whole time and I didn't know.
1: Yeah, and it's fine for pregnant women, children, as as seen on TV.
3: We need a a warning on
2: this episode. (laughs) (laughs) The Surgeon General should have warned America about us long before this, but especially now.
1: (laughs) I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to get sloppy drunk off a liquid meat product that is 23% alcohol.
3: I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host (laughs) most likely to spend way too much time trying to wriggle my nose.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I am Seth. The host most likely to appear on a serving plate in a bed of lettuce, than try to turn your husband gay through the power of magic.
1: <laughs> oh, Seth! Oh, uh, once again, accurate. <laughs> Spot on. So back in episode 64 of our podcast, we discussed the Nicktoons we watched as kids, including Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. Shows that were made for children and aired during the daytime, but... What happens when the sun goes down? When the darkness creeps in and the kids are in bed? What happens on Nick at night? Ooh, chicka It makes it sound so much sexier than it's going to be. Yeah, as it turns out, it's just as wholesome as what aired in the daytime, if not more so. <laughs> In today's episode, we are folding our arms, twitching our noses, and tossing our hats up in the air, (laughs) because we have a lot of splainin' to do about Nick at Night's Block Party Summer, (laughs) which began airing in 1994 and continued into the 2000s, grouping three-hour blocks of classic sitcoms on themed nights, beginning with Merry Mondays, Lucy Tuesdays, Bewitched the Wednesdays, Jeannie Thursdays, and Sergeant Joe Fridays. The next lineup in the summer of 95 swamped out Mary Tyler Moore and Dragnet, for Munster Mondays and Cotter Fridays. So we'll take a look at all of those shows and see how they hold up uh, many, many years after they were first made, with many more years in between them than most of the subjects we take a look at. Naked at Nights, Block Friday Summers were certainly my introduction to many of the most classic sitcoms from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, as I'm sure it was for many other 90s kids, uh, perhaps also my co-hosts. We will find out But before we spend the next hour praising the sitcoms of yesteryear, we must praise ourselves. We have new reviews to read.
3: We have a (laughs) five-star review from a listener named Amelia. It starts, I adore this podcast and these hosts. When We Were Young is a cerebral, hilarious, and ever little nugget of a podcast. Every episode is thoughtfully researched and endlessly funny. Chris, Becky, and Seth take a deep dive into your childhood and use their film school super brains to dissect every last bit of it. I find myself laughing out loud as they joyfully agree and pugnaciously clash with one another. Your precious podcast time is well spent with these lovable lot of cinephiles. Fingers crossed for episodes on Clueless, Pee Wee Herman, Beetlejuice, or Newsies. Those are all very good suggestions, Amelia. Thank you for writing in.
1: I really like that review.
2: Yeah, we should probably do the separate episodes, not all four <laughs> subjects in one. No, the
3: episode is just Amelia's picks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you, Amelia. We love your review and you.
1: And I love uh, your use of the word pugnacious in a review. That's yeah. really great SAT word.
2: It's a very good SAT word. I always hope to be described as a nugget. Uh, it's an effervescent yeah. nugget. <laughs> It's not just a regular nugget. It's not a flat nugget.
3: (laughs) Yes, thank you for that lovely review. We hope to get to all those movies at some point or another.
1: I'm not sure about Pee-wee Herman. I'm scared of that one, but we'll see. Oh, really? Oh, Chris.
3: That's why we should do it.
2: We
1: need to do a Pee-wee
2: Herman episode.
1: (laughs) Ah, uh, we'll see. So, I think it's interesting that this is our second episode dedicated to the Nickelodeon Network. Not even just one show, but a whole group of shows, which we're doing again after doing the Nicktoons.
3: I don't think it's that surprising. I
1: don't think it's that interesting, <laughs> well, frankly.
3: It ruled my life growing up, just Nickelodeon in general.
1: It did. We have been considering doing an episode on Nick at Night for a while, but I had forgotten until recently that the big blocks of programming that got me started watching these shows were a summer thing. It was back when other shows would be showing reruns, so there was nothing new to watch. Uh, You didn't have school. You weren't doing homework. You had nothing to do at night except uh, watch, you know, classic sitcoms on TV. As we record this, we are wrapping up the summer of 2020, a summer when we probably didn't do a whole lot more than sit inside and watch television.
3: (laughs) Speak for yourself. I have a toddler.
2: (laughs) And you showed her television. (laughs) I wrote four books and three scripts. I built several houses. These are lies.
1: You've built a house out of lies. Why, why is this episode so full of lies? Well, we are in LA where movie theaters are shut down. Bars are closed as they are in many other places in the country. Many of us are having very limited social interaction. So it was a very good time to watch old sitcoms to like kind of sit down and binge watch these. So as an opening question for this episode, I wanted to ask you guys what your pop culture comfort food is. Uh, my spoiler alert is contained in this episode. So uh, we'll get there in a second. But um, I'm curious what you guys have been watching, um, especially the last like six months during this pandemic. And in general, if you're in a bad mood, having a bad day, what do you turn on to bring you
2: comfort? I, I can start off by picking up immediately from our last episode. X-Files <laughs> is a thing that I <laughs> throw on. Basically, anytime I feel shitty, anytime I have a lot of laundry to do, or a lot of dishes to do, or a lot of like organizing of closets and various apartment spaces. In these quarantines, times, I've found myself gravitating toward binge-watching shows that I've loved, specifically more so than watching lots of movies or listening to lots of different albums or different kinds of music at a long stretch. Most recently, I've been re-watching Halt and Catch Fire, which is a series about the kind of tech revolution of the late 80s and early 90s. And it's kind of my first time re-watching the whole show since watching it the whole way through the first time. And I think that's a pretty much perfect series. It's got the kind of cast that like any one person in it would be the most interesting part of a cast in anything else, but all of them are in this one thing. The writing is so sharp and all the characters are so well drawn that like over the course of its seasons, I think it plays out in a really brilliant way, in a really dramatic way that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a show whose pitch is like, this is about the dot-com revolution and personal computing. It just ends up being a very dramatically moving and often really funny show too and it's a dark horse for me as far as unsung underrated drama shows from this kind of prestige tv era but yeah overall it's definitely been kind of series that i've really enjoyed that have been my comfort food
3: these past six months, I haven't really watched as much as I regularly would in in a six month time period because I'm with my child so much. I've watched Sesame Street every day. <laughs> um, and you know, that's
1: comfort food.
3: Yeah, oh, I've watched every single Pixar movie in the last um six months because those are the things that you know are appropriate for her.
2: She's got pretty good taste. I've got to admit. (laughs) She's got
3: very good taste (laughs) because I'm skipping all the crap. I'm only showing her the good stuff. I haven't watched as much on my own time that has brought me any comfort because if I have any time at all that's free, I usually don't go to something old. Like I want to watch something new and there's just so much TV in general that I haven't seen. I just watched The Leftovers for the first time and it was amazing. I watched it like the entire series in like three weeks. In normal times, <laughs> shows that bring me comfort are, I think like musicals <laughs> must give me comfort. Cause I'm thinking of like Disney musicals, like The Little Mermaid or The Lion King, because I just know them so well from my youth. Um, but also like, I remember I was having a really bad day a few years ago I forget why and I just wanted something happy and I put on La La Land and it just made me so happy because it was like romance and dancing and music and I think that's what I gravitate towards and y- you'd think I would say Simpsons <laughs> but it's actually been a while since I've put on the Simpsons regularly and I think it's because it's like I could literally just play an episode in my head I like don't need to play it put it on <laughs> and watch it but yeah I would say like maybe like s- probably things from my youth that are still like, that still hold up like the Disney Renaissance movies or, or some sort of like musical that kind of distracts me from what's going on.
1: I had money on Simpsons. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. For me, it's, I love Lucy. hmm <laughs> You know, as 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 prompted this question in this episode. We have now covered almost everything I dearly love from my childhood and teen years on the podcast, including the Tim Burton Batman movies, Jurassic Park, Buffy, Romy and Michelle, Titanic, and Scream. These are all things that give me great joy. There's one more thing we haven't covered, but we'll get there someday.
3: It's the Wizard um, of Oz. I know you. Sh-
1: Supposed to be a surprise. No spoilers. But I wouldn't call any of those things comfort food to me. I still have to be in a certain mood to watch them. When I'm in a bad mood, I actually usually like things that are more cathartic. So I'll turn on like United 93 or Schindler's List. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I'm comforted because I'm like, okay, compared to the Holocaust, my bad day is medium. (laughs)
3: Oh my god! I, you know what, Chris? I have to say I do that, too. I put on a lot of true crime.
1: <gasps> yeah. But like something happy like La La Land especially would like annoy me if I was in a bad <laughs> mood. Like I would just like be like picking it apart and being like, why are they singing? Nothing is that happy. <laughs> But, you know, tragedy makes me feel better. <laughs> tragedy plus time equals I'm comforted now. <laughs> but in a dire emergency, I can turn on I Love Lucy and be comforted. So I would consider that probably my number one comfort food. I bought the DVDs a few years ago, um, starting with one season. Like, oh, I'd kind of like to see a few of these episodes again. Ended up, like, kept buying seasons, kept watching the episodes, um... And so ever since then, it's been kind of my in case of emergency, like self-care package. So through this past six months, I've found myself going back to the past a lot. Um, We've covered a lot of 80s and 90s on the podcast, obviously. So I have been going back ever further. Um, I watched every movie on the AFI's greatest 100 movies. Wow. I've been watching a lot of silent movies from the teens and 20s. For me, there's something incredibly comforting about I Love Lucy and Frank Capra and Charlie Chaplin right now. Um, Things that are very timeless. I think it's, I like that something like this, found funny, you know, at the time, can survive throughout the decades, way outliving, like, the performers themselves. Um, We are in this moment of such great change and instability, and I think I find comfort in the fact that these things can you know have that kind of power throughout like times that have obviously changed like many times and many times again throughout there but you know throughout that all lucy is fucking hilarious like at all of those mm-hmm. all of the most tumultuous times in our in our country's history in the world's history is like that's like a constant thing and so i think i find that comforting oh.
0: Hello out there from TV land, a beautiful place to be. Nick at Night, better living through good TV.
1: Nick at Night launched on July 1st, 1985, 35 years ago this year. In its first decade, it aired classic TV including Dick Van Dyke, Newhart, The Donna Reed Show, and Dennis the Menace, plus old films like the original A Star is Born. Prior to Nick at Night's launch, the Nickelodeon network used to switch over to A&E at night at 8 p.m. What? I had no idea. They shared a channel.
3: Weird. So
1: eventually they wanted, you know, their, their own channels. So when they split, obviously, like Nickelodeon needed something to air at night um, in primetime. And it didn't really make sense to air like their kid programming and cartoons because kids would be asleep. But the content also had to be something that was kid friendly enough that if kids were like staying up and watching, you know, it wouldn't like be inappropriate for them to see it. So um, the idea for Nick at Night basically came from oldies radio stations with Nick at Night positioning themselves as the oldies of television. And now it sounds kind of like a no brainer, but at the time reruns were very undervalued. There was no proven market for classic TV really. I mean, it was in syndication and it would kind of fill in, you know, like slots where people weren't watching a lot of TV, but this was obviously before TV was streaming or on physical media, really. There were no TV seasons on DVD. So at most you were catching episodes kind of randomly as they aired in syndication. And so if you wanted to see, like, for some reason, a specific episode of Mary Tyler Moore in season six, like, you might have to wait, like, months or years. There was no other way to see it. So Block Party Summer was actually kind of a revolutionary idea um, around something we'd take for granted, which is basically binge-watching old shows. The episodes would air in order, six episodes every night, so you could actually follow, you know, story arcs and everything. It was rare, you know, for shows to air back-to-back like that. There was a big Nick at Night popularity boom in the mid-90s, driven largely by this block party summer, uh, which ran for about eight weeks, mostly in July and August. In addition to the shows we're discussing today, the 90s also had Monkey Mondays, Greenacre Mondays, Odd Couple Thursdays, and Happy Days Thursdays, to name a few. For some reason, Tuesdays and Wednesdays were very solid. I don't know why they didn't change, but Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays tended to change a lot.
2: Yeah, no, weirdly, we're not going to cover it in this episode, but Green Acres was actually one of the ones that stood out to me the most as a show I remember seeing on Nick at Night.
1: I remember seeing promos for it. I never actually watched Green Acres, <laughs> but for some reason it is one of the first shows I think of. It must have just like been at a time when I was watching a lot of Nickelodeon and then kept seeing promos for it. So some form of block party summer ran through all the way through 2006, uh, though the name occasionally changed uh, to Easy TV Summer camp nick at night and the unreal a thon in 2001 what? as a statement against the surge of reality tv shows that was taking over prime time at the time oh, no it was dwindling the promos especially for like the 94 and 95 blocks that we're looking at today were very very 90s uh they were very quirky <laughs>
0: Hungry for some classic TV? Shoo! Sure. Well, Nick at Night's Block Party Summer is serving up big, zesty, six-episode blocks of classic TV. Back-to-back and in their original order. Blocks so thick, you can watch them with a fork. Munster Mondays, Lucy Tuesdays, Bewitchy Wednesdays, Genie Thursdays, and Cotter Fridays. Don't miss this rare opportunity to enjoy well-done shows on your favorite medium, television. Pretty clever, eh, right, Mr. Cotter? Nick at Night's Block Party Summer.
3: I uh, very very memorable and very very awesome.
1: Yeah, you can go with that word. That's a that's a word. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we watched a bunch of commercials from the '90s for Nick at Night. They all came flooding back to me.
2: Yeah, once again, it's a situation where we remember the promotional materials for a piece of programming more than the programming itself. (laughs)
3: But you know why? I think it's because on cable, they would promote their own channel on these different cable networks. Like, I'm sure if you had MTV, there's a lot of really memorable MTV promos as well.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: But I think MTV and Nickelodeon are owned by the same people.
2: Viacom, yeah.
3: They have a really great marketing committee. (laughs) Like, all Mm -hmm. the commercials for these networks were great and really memorable. And very unique.
1: Yeah, they had some really weird, and it wasn't even always just like a regular commercial. Like they had a whole like segment that was an interview with the back of Patty Duke's head.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they had uh, green tinted episodes for St. Patrick's Day, which I remember <laughs> watching. I didn't remember that!
2: I totally forgot that until you just mentioned it. I remember watching it.
1: Lucy in Green. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh,
2: that's amazing. They
1: had an old-fashioned milkman as their mascot for a while.
2: That's right. I remember but, that. But uh, perhaps
1: most iconic of all is this. And he
3: found a little bottle and out Pop Barber Eden. But she couldn't show her belly button.
0: All she did was blink. Da, 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 da. Oh, uh, good evening, Major Nelson. Tony Nelson works at NASA with suspicious Dr. Bellows, and there's also Roger Healy, who would become Howard Borden. Jeannie and Jeannie always means well, but they get in wacky trouble. She folds her arms and blinks her eyes. It's kind of like bewitched. Da, 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 da da
3: I loved it. The second that <laughs> I, I saw the, the clip that you posted from YouTube, I was like, I know every word of this ad. <laughs> it came flooding oh, yeah. back to me.
2: I ended up sending this clip to Chris and Becky before we recorded the show. And of course, I should have known that Chris had prepared for all of this ahead of time. But truly, one of the most memorable things of all of Nick at Night, all of the block party summer, all of it was this like parody song of a Suzanne Vega. A hit song called Tom's Diner that was, <laughs> I I believe it was called Genie's Diner. Mm-hmm. It's strange that any artist but Weird Al was allowed to make parody songs legally, but they made a parody song of the I Dream of Genie theme song and that became its own Nick at Night promo. Yeah,
1: I only heard Tom's Diner like after hearing this version of it. So. Me too.
2: <laughs> Me too, and I was like, "Wait, did they make a serious version of this? I Dream of Genies."
1: (laughs) (laughs) But also, the weird part is that she did Tom's Diner, which basically also is like it makes it makes much more sense to do it about genie if it's already kind of the tune of genie. So maybe the original song is actually weirder than the promo. But anyway, yeah, I think that there are many, many people our age who could recite lyrics from this. For some reason, it was. Super memorable and like supersedes like the actual genie <laughs> intro. Like it almost makes me think that this is the intro to that show. Um, like just certain words, uh, certain lines. Like it's kind of like bewitched. It's kind of like, like bewitched. My-
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like yeah, one of the- that's like- one of the first phrases that like comes to me when I think of night- Nick at Night. It's like
2: it's kind of like bewitched. This song and the like video of it that was the Nick and Night promo that was literally my biggest memory of the show. I dream of Jeannie like other than the nose twitch. And I looked it up just before we recorded, and the parody song was actually written by uh, this guy, Mark Jonathan Davis, who is a singer who is better known now as the lounge singer Richard Cheese. Shut up! Whoa! Quite seriously, he wrote. Quite that? seriously. Because I saw, like, Mark Jonathan Davis, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? Shit. And I looked it up, and it's Richard Cheese, who, like, now has a very, like, decade-plus-long career as Richard Cheese.
3: Uh, Like, 20 years.
2: Yeah, like a comedy lounge musician. Um, So it was really funny kind of looking that up before this and being like, it, it, not only is that the most prominent thing that I remember about that whole show... Uh, but it was done by this guy who's now kind of preeminently known as like the inventor of his own kind of musical genre of like comedic lounge lizard music.
3: Oh, my God. That's amazing. That
2: so checks out. Right. It totally makes sense. It totally makes
1: sense. Like I never obviously would have connected those things. But now that you say it, it's like that seems like the perfect training ground to then launch that career.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: So as we think about our history with these shows, uh, I kind of wanted to compare it to a couple of previous topics that we did. One, our TGIF episode, because it was a grouping of family-friendly sitcoms that we probably watched around the same age. But of course, those shows were new at the time, very hip and cutting edge, whereas this was classic TV. It was old. So I think it's kind of interesting, you know, this is not our entirely first episode going back to the past, but it is, you know, obviously covering a time way before when we usually cover and when we were not alive. We previously went back on the podcast and talked about the classic Disney films like Snow White, Bambi, and Pinocchio. Those were made in the 30s and 40s, so those movies were very old. But as we talked about on that episode, those were very timeless as well, and we didn't really have any context for when they were made. But these shows, I would argue, are very much of their time, and it was pretty obvious when they were made, and I think also pretty obvious that Lucy was the 50s, and that's a very different time than Bewitched in the 60s. And in a way, at least for me. I think these offered like an early history lesson about what life was actually like in these different decades that I, you know, you might read about in like history or learn something about, but this was probably one of the first like gateways into like this understanding kind of what different decades represented.
3: I totally see that. It was, it was really shocking to jump around. I think I watched like Lucy and then I watched Welcome Back Cotter. Like it was just very, (laughs) very strikingly different, but it was very interesting because all of of these shows take place in the present day for whatever that present day is so it's really interesting to watch shows made during their own time period because you're like wow people actually wore that (laughs) or people really (laughs) accepted that or that was normal back then Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating
1: yeah so what's your guys's history i guess with nick at night and then any or all of these shows um if, if there were ones that you gravitated to more as a kid or ones you didn't watch or anything like that
3: well, I watched the fuck out of Nick at Night <laughs> growing up.
2: Is that what you would tell your mom? <laughs> like, I'm going to watch the fuck out of Nick at Night, probably. mom. I probably you can, did. you can fuck off if you want, mom, but <laughs> I'm going to watch my Nick at Night. Hey, Becky's mom would have been fine with that. Yeah, she would have been
3: fine. Uh, <laughs> she
2: would. She would. We know this. I
3: watched Lucy. I watched Green Acres. <laughs> Mr. Red. My three sons. Yeah. Toby Gillis. Oh shit. Happy Days. The Odd Couple. Uh, what what Partridge Family? Didn't watch Partridge Family. Watched Brady Bunch. Okay. Andy Griffith. Didn't watch Andy Griffith. oh, the honeymooners. Was that on Nick at Knight? It had to be. I think that it was on like uh, it was syndicated on like Channel Eleven in New York. I don't know what that network too. that is, but it's not Nick at Knight. I I watch so much of this. Oh, Bewitched, G- Genie! I watched all of it. W- why? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because, Becky, we were children, and all we knew to do was feed at the content trough. Yes. And and lo how the trough was filled for us.
3: I, I must have watched Nick and Night a lot during this, these summer periods, because if I wasn't going to go to school the next day, I would literally stay up until, like, 3 a.m. Because my parents never stopped me. And so I, I don't even know when Nick and Night ended at night. There must have been, like, something on at 2 a.m. Yeah. Donna Reed. Did I forget about that? Um. <laughs> I have no, I, I think it was just on Nickelodeon, like the channel. And so I was like, I guess I'm watching this now. <laughs> I guess this is part of a 10 year old's consumption.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I think that I genuinely did like Lucy and I know my mom was a big Lucy fan. So I think that's something that we could share together sometimes. So I think I genuinely did like Lucy. The others, I, I think I liked Or maybe I didn't. Like, I can't remember if I actually liked them or if it was just on. Like, did I actually like Green Acres? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was 10.
2: (laughs) Becky, it was the place to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's an interesting comparison to TGIF, too. You know, our conclusion at the end of that episode was kind of, why did we watch
2: this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did, like, did we like it? That's the silent companion show to when we were young is, why did we watch did this? Watch <laughs> yeah. And
1: that was mostly, I think, because it was on and it was like pit- marketed to us as an yeah. event. Whereas like, I, yeah, we didn't really remember actually necessarily enjoying those shows, even at the <laughs> time. <laughs>
3: You know, I, th- I think I had good marketing. It was the same marketing, I'm assuming, as Nickelodeon. You know, I think there's like Dragnet, or, but most of it was comedies. So it was like family friendly. So there's no reason not to watch it. What else am I going to do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, what about you, Seth?
2: When I was growing up, I obsessed about watching the Nickelodeon network in general, as we've discussed before, and especially all of Nickelodeon's Saturday morning cartoons and also the Saturday night Snick block. So I don't remember the Nick at Night block party summer programming itself, but I I truly don't know why I don't remember it because I watched absolutely all of these shows. And I remember either loving or actively avoiding all of these shows like (laughs) my co-hosts did with M.A.S.H. (laughs) No! (laughs) (laughs) No! Oh, yeah. Don't you dare speak that name to me. (laughs) Spoiler, it's Dragnet. Dragnet is my mash. Uh, Oh, God. But I would watch these shows on Nick at Night. I would watch these very same shows on whatever the Channel 11 equivalent was to what Becky mentioned in Hmm. New Orleans. Like, I watched all of these. In particular, I loved... I Love Lucy. Loved it. And Chris, I didn't know that you had this abiding love for I Love Lucy, but it's right. yet another thing on which we are aligned. I would watch that show anytime on any channel that it was being broadcast, any time of day at child care, like during the school year um, when I was in you know elementary school and growing up, and during child care after school, they would put on TV and I would watch absolutely I Love Lucy was like my appointment afternoon video. Viewing. I just loved the physical humor of that show so, so much, not just of Lucy, but of really all the performers on the show. And just, I loved the situations that they would get into. So Lucy was huge for me. And then also Monsters used to broadcast super early in the morning on Saturday mornings when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. I remembered loving to like get up at the actual ass crack of dawn and watch the Munsters (laughs) monsters because it was so like fun and silly and like good hearted silliness like the adams family was and especially because i knew that it meant that all the fun saturday morning cartoons were just about to start and other shows that i remembered especially from nick at night itself were bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie, and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And so I don't know if I necessarily ever made these blocks of programming, like appointment viewing, that I would kind of plan for. But I do know that basically anytime time they were on, I would watch them, and I would usually enjoy them. I can definitely
1: see a young Seth <laughs> uh, waking up early to watch The Munsters. That feels on brand.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I'm so not a morning person anymore, but, like, back then, 6 a.m., oh, yeah, a bowl of cereal and the Monsters would get me going.
1: <laughs> I feel like I am a little on brand with this in that I would watch Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. So I had my um, ditzy blondes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you sure did.
1: <laughs> but, obviously, uh, The Redhead is the one that captured me the most. Um, there were a lot of these shows I didn't watch, actually. I was very selective. Um, and I would kind of watch like Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, you know, if I was bored, you know, I I don't think I ever like would watch all six episodes or anything like that, but, um, I was perfectly content watching those and I didn't really watch many of the rest of these shows, but to borrow a phrase, I watched the fuck out of Lisa. (laughs) 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 I don't actually remember. I wish I remembered kind of exactly how I got into it, but it was probably something to do with. Nick at Night, because I don't know what else it would have been.
2: Sorry, like, I I couldn't remember the origin point of, like, when I first started watching that either, Chris. Yeah, I would think it would be kind of memorable, but...
1: It it wasn't, but I mean, I know that pretty early on, I got very deeply, deeply into it. Sergeant Joe would have had to, you know, detoxify me from my addiction (laughs) to Lucy. I know I checked out a book from the library that had like a big history of the show, and then every episode. So it was one of the early examples of me like being a completist and needing to, like I said, watch all of the AFI movies watch all of the I Love Lucy episodes. And so I would, <gasps> I think I did like probably tape the show if I wasn't going to be able to like watch it live. And I like followed along. And I remember like looking ahead and seeing like, oh, this episode sounds funny. Like I can't wait for that one. And you know, sometimes it, you would have to wait because even though these were airing six at a time, you know, there's many, many episodes of Lucy. So um I might not get to that one. But eventually. I I have seen every episode of I Love Lucy. I am pretty sure.
2: Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, have you seen all of the different spinoff series that came from that?
1: The ones that included like the cast, the same cast. I didn't watch like okay. Lucy's other sitcoms, um, but the the ones that still included Lucy and Desi, I did.
3: I watched okay. them.
1: <laughs> you watched everything. I did. And as we talk talked about, like, these are, you know, so family friendly, but um, this, like, I Love Lucy was definitely, like, my own thing. Like, it wasn't something my friends were into. My family didn't really watch it with me, I don't think. And so I, I feel like this also was, like, very much a gateway for me because it was probably the first black and white thing I really, you know, actively watched and sought out the first like classic thing and so it's probably kind of a gateway into me appreciating like older films and classic films and being able to like watch something black and white and feel like it was still entertaining and not just like that's like an old newsreel kind of feeling that you kind of i think originally feel like black and white is Mm -hmm. okay so happy monday everyone we are coming in hot with merry mondays (laughs) and a very (laughs) merry monday to you (laughs) (laughs)
0: day and certainly make it all seem worthwhile well it's you go and you should know it with each glance and every little movement you show love is all around, no need to waste it you can never tell why don't you take it? you're gonna make
1: The Mary Tyler Moore Show was created by James L. Brooks and Alan Burns, airing on CBS from 1970 through 1977 for a total of 168 episodes over seven seasons. It was the Frasier of its day, winning 29 Emmys, which was a record until Frasier, including three for Best Comedy, three for Moore as Leading Actress, it also spawned three spin spin-offs titled after characters from the show, Rhoda, Phyllis, and Lou Grant. The Mary Tyler Moore Show stars Mary Tyler Moore as Mary Richards, a single woman in her 30s who takes a job at WJM under her gruff boss, Lou Grant, played by Ed Asner. Other prominent characters include Rhoda Morgenstern, who becomes Mary's BFF, played by Valerie Harper, tightly wound landlady Phyllis, played by Cloris Leachman, and happy homemaker Sue Ann Nivens, played by Betty White.
3: Oh my god, that was Chloris Leachman.
1: Oh, you didn't know? That <laughs> was I'm just Eastern.
3: realizing now who that was wow
1: yeah even though i knew i think at some point that she was on the show it was like surprising to see all these like stars that we know from other places like in the context of the sitcom so mary tyler moore was already a popular tv presence for her role as laura on the dick van dyke show the character mary richards was originally supposed to be divorced but the network was concerned that the audience would confuse her with her previous character and be mad at her for divorcing <laughs> Dick van dyke <laughs> So they decided to come up with the device of having her be engaged, but then break it off in the pilot episode. And that that actually was kind of true, because the original studio audience in the pilot did kind of confuse her with her old character and did kind of hate her. So I guess audiences were not as savvy back then as they are now. Sorry, 1970s, I'm insulting (laughs) you.
2: This show was filmed before stupid live TV audiences.
1: (laughs) A happily single woman was pretty revolutionary at the time. Somehow, (laughs) the show was also just really quite revolutionary for kind of touching on social issues. Not necessarily like having like huge storylines about them, but mentioning that Mary was on birth control pills was a big deal. There was an episode that sent her to jail that kind of like mirrored Watergate a little bit. The show, as I think, is pretty obvious, is a major inspiration to Tina Fey and Thirty Rock because it's kind of the same show just in a different world a little bit. Uh so I had never actually watched Mary Tyler Moore before doing this, which seems crazy. I think I might have seen clips. I hadn't either.
3: I hadn't either.
2: That's so weird. Chris, leading up to when we started recording, this was the thing I was most excited to talk about because I had the actual least clue. I did not have the faintest idea of what the show like actually was. It's been in a million clip shows. I feel like one of the cast members of this show or the producer or James L. Brooks win a life achievement award like every year. So you see Mary Tyler Moore mentioned and shown in clip shows constantly. Basically, but I don't ever remember seeing Mary Tyler Moore show either growing up or really like even in my adult life as something that was recommended to me. And I'm someone who watches a lot of comedy. So I I don't know. I was just very surprised about that right off the bat. Same. Same.
3: I mean, there's so many shows. You can't get through everything.
2: It's true,
1: but it's, I don't know. It's But if you're going to get through something, like maybe one of the shows that was groundbreaking and won all of the Emmys <laughs> and launched a bunch of careers. So like, I know I like James L. Brooks. I like his movies. I like a lot of the cast. I like, I think Betty White is funny. I like Cloris Leachman.
2: I, Ed Asner is even
1: great. I enjoy, like, yeah, I, I would enjoy like a show set in a newsroom. So, I mean, I would think that I would have watched this, and especially knowing how groundbreaking it was, and yet, for some reason, just never did.
2: Same. No, and it's like, I, I, I was actively surprised by that. You know, like, and I, I consider myself a comedy fan. I've watched a lot of, like, older comedy shows, and just for whatever reason, I had never watched this before. So, like, the pilot was the first episode you recommended we watch,
1: yeah, so we watched uh we watched a few episodes of this. Uh the first one was Love is All Around the Pilot, which was recommended as one of the like strong episodes of the series. You know, a lot of shows, you know, their pilot is not necessarily a great example of what they can do because they're still figuring things out, but it was pretty much all here in the pilot. Since we're all coming to this one especially new, like what did you think of this show overall?
3: I I thought it was fine. <laughs> i i guess i i'm not running to go see more i watched um three episodes i just thought it was fine i i find mary tyler moore really charming and very natural and i could totally feel like she she could star you know as she was in the 70s she could star on a tv show today she feels very modern but just in general like i just didn't feel any like real connection to anything it was okay
2: Chris, I'm immediately ready to start watching the rest of this show now. I will absolutely be binging this show as one of my next quarantine undertakings. This ensemble cast, I thought, was just so ridiculously great, and the pilot was excellent. And I was on board with the show, really, by the end of the pilot. Uh, I really loved that the first episode of the show is about the main character ditching her shitty boyfriend and starting a whole entire new life for herself. I was really just pleasantly surprised. Becky, right along with you here, I thought Mary Tyler Moore was such a strong performer herself, and such a naturalistic comedic actor, that her performance really complemented a lot of the other actors on the show, like Cloris Leachman, who contend toward much broader performances. I thought that there was just a great rapport between the whole comedic ensemble and a great rhythm, and really sharp writing to go along with it. Mm-hmm. It was just a lovely surprise to me. What did you think, Chris?
1: Exactly the same as you, Seth. I, by the end of this first episode, was kind of cringing at myself for like, why didn't I ever watch this before?
2: <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one who had this reaction.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it, it, it doesn't, It's not a revelation to be like, wow, Mary Tyler Moore, great show. (laughs) Has anyone heard of this Mary Tyler Moore show? (laughs) You know, it won all the Emmys, I think, for good reason. And yet, for some reason, it just didn't really occur to me to ever seek it out. Even though, like I said, it has a lot of things that I would indicate that I would like it. I also found Mary Tyler Moore very um, engaging, although I will say in this episode and a couple of the other ones that I watch, like she's the straight man in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. the supporting cast is very, very good. So good that they kind of maybe drown her out a little bit. Yeah, like I she's, just so she's the straight
3: away. man surrounded by crazy people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like this episode, I think starts off really as like the Rhoda show. <laughs> Not surprising that she got her own spinoff, but like in her early scenes, I just like I was like, whoa, she is running away with this show.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I liked I liked Rhoda. I feel like I'm being unfair. I, I didn't find anything wrong with the show. I mean, some of it clearly doesn't hold up. Like in the pilot, Lou Grant is you know asking about you know are you married, what's your religion, which at the time like she's like you can't ask me that, but. We're We're supposed to still like him, you know, like a lot of his behavior is inappropriate, but we're supposed to be like, oh, he's just a lovable scamp, like Archie Bunker or something.
0: Look, miss, would you try answering the questions as I ask them? Yes, Mr. Man, I will. But it does seem that you've been asking a lot of very personal questions that don't have a thing to do with my qualifications for this job. You know what? (laughs) You got spunk. I hate Spike. Tell you what, I'll try you out for a couple of weeks, see if it works
2: out. Ah. If I don't like you, I'll fire you. Right, right. You don't like me? I'll fire
0: you. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> that certainly seems fair.
2: Well, but, Becky, also keep in mind the the standards that you're talking about as far as, like, a, a appropriate workplace behavior were not even in place when 30 Rock was made. You know, like, that was another comparison point in my mind was 30 Rock is another show that for me is kind of a comfort food as far as comedies go. But, like, those standards are ever-shifting quicksand. They're still not in place. <laughs> Look at the L. show. They're still not in place, <laughs> Yeah, they're still not real. <laughs> Chris, I feel like part of the reason why I never watched this show was that to me, it felt like the most overtly 70s, like early 70s kind of show. My stereotypical presumption of Mary Tyler Moore Show was that it would be like the self-important. We're a, we're a social issues sitcom, but it just is genuinely a very funny workplace comedy. And again, to me, like the Golden Girls, this show just like has such a stacked ensemble of actors, it bowled me over. I was I was the most surprised out of anything that I watched for the the show.
1: Yeah, I actually, I think that might have been a stigma that I had on it, too, is that I heard so much about how revolutionary it was that it felt a little, like, self-important and kind of, like, homework yes. to go back and watch it now. Yes. Which it actually is not at all. It's very fresh... And fun and has all those things like kind of under the surface
2: yeah and it's and it's not making the whole episode about the quote unquote social issue it just incorporates that into these characters' lives in a completely organic way and has them go through it and ha- like just have that be part of the plot and then move on.
1: yeah and to me like this script felt fresh like you could do the same script now all you would need to change really are the carpet
2: and the wardrobe
3: <laughs> I was gonna say like the yeah. hairstyles. <laughs> (laughs)
2: yeah there's some amazing hair in this series
3: (laughs) her hair changes a lot between the two of the
2: episodes that i watched like
3: the pilot and then like season four or something i was like holy feathered hair
1: uh i want to talk about hot chloris leachman
2: can we talk about chloris leachman for the rest of this episode (laughs) uh hot no
3: idea that was chloris leachman
2: yeah i had actually i had just rewatched. um
1: the movie she won an Oscar for, The Last Picture Show, where she's great, but she's, like, this dowdy housewife in there. And then now to see her in this, where she's, like, not dowdy at all, you know, she's kind of more conservative in certain ways, but she's also... (laughs) She's more rowdy than dowdy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this was just, like, right before that. So it was just, like, a shock to the system to see. And I, I never thought of Cloris Leachman as, like... hot. I mean, like... Hot or funny.
3: Like. <laughs> no, she's been funny and stuff.
2: Young Frankenstein, she is legendary. I mean, she's more known for, for being in bit parts and things now. Yeah. And she plays, like, like body old woman characters. Yeah, I guess that's it, is it. I mean, she can be funny in those parts, but
1: not, like leading lady funny. And like obviously we didn't watch her like her spin-off sitcom, but I can easily see how she would be like the lead of a sitcom. Like she's that funny. Oh my and god. That, like magnetic.
2: Like, this was my other note for this is like uh, Cloris Leachman is a fucking treasure. Like she has uh you had us watch season three, episode seventeen, My Brother's Keeper. Um which is one of those episodes that has like a social issues moment in it. But to me like Cloris Leachman was this episode. Um, Because it's talking about Is it Rhoda who ends up dating her brother? Yeah Cloris Leachman has this monologue That basically it ends up being a story About Rhoda going to a classical music concert With her brother on a date And Cloris Leachman is talking about Rhoda Snapping her fingers to Mozart <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That woman has cast some sort of spell over Ben No spell, Phyllis It's just that in case you haven't noticed Rhoda is very attractive Is she? Is she, Mary? It must be on some level that I can't perceive like ultraviolet light or that whistle that only dogs can hear. Mary, my reasoning is this. If I say anything to Ben about Rhoda's obvious shortcomings, uh, that may bring them closer together. Therefore, I reason I shall be passive, even kindly. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Phyllis. Uh, Chicken and mushroom time. Rhoda, I want you to know, dear, that I am not sick to my stomach over you and Ben.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've loved Cloris Leachman in other parts, like I loved her in Young Frankenstein, but she's just tremendous in this. It was so great to watch.
1: Yeah, uh, this was the episode I, I wrote. Cloris Leachman is the MVP and that's saying a lot in this cast where everyone really is truly great. But this is a great episode and another like probably maybe even the best example of how the show kind of slid things under the radar. So basically the story is that Phyllis is jealous of Rhoda and she kind of wants to set her brother up with Mary and instead Rhoda and the brother end up hitting it off and hanging out a lot. And it's not really clear that they're dating or not dating. And then at the very end of the episode, like Rhoda kind of was like, well, he's gay, like we're not dating, um, which is news to Phyllis. But it's just kind of this off the cuff kind of thing. And it's, you know, structured much better than I just, (laughs) you know, recounted it.
2: It's one line. Yeah, You put it perfectly because it's literally just one line and it's like thrown off as an afterthought and it's not something that like puts a spotlight <laughs> on a sad tragic gay character <laughs> and then like goes through his sob story it's just literally a toss off line
3: well you have to say that the she says you know we're not dating he's gay and then Phyllis is just so relieved that he's not with Rhoda. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it's, new, it's news to her that her brother is gay. And then the episode ends. And then it's over. Yeah. Which is really groundbreaking because you'd think that that would happen in the middle of the episode. And then the rest of the episode is her being like, what am I going to do? I have a gay brother. And then like learning to, you know, deal with this new information. But it's just, he's gay. Oh, thank God he's not with you. <laughs>
1: And we also watched the episode Chuckles Bites the Dust from season six, episode seven, which is one of the most famous sitcom episodes of all time. It was... At one point, number one on TV Guide's best episodes of TV of all time. It won an Emmy for writing. And yeah, it's just one of those classic episodes. In the episode, a clown that works for the network uh, named Chuckles is killed by an animal. <laughs> <laughs> there are many jokes made around the death, which is a sort of a funny death. But Mary is sort of indignant that people are laughing about this tragedy, which culminates in a scene at the funeral where she cannot stop laughing. <laughs> at the eulogy and then immediately burst into tears after uh, she's told it's okay to laugh I just found this such a great script you know obviously it won an Emmy well deserved but it's just so like well told like it just feels like how to write a sitcom episode
0: you feel like laughing don't, you? <laughs> 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 don't try to hold it back go ahead laugh out loud Don't you see, nothing would have made Chuckles happier. He lived to make people laugh. Tears were offensive to him, deeply offensive. He hated to see people cry. So, so go ahead, my dear. Laugh for Chuckles. (laughs)
2: Chris, I completely agree with you. But this was the episode where I agree the most with Becky, where the straight man nature of Mary's character is the most apparent and the most inorganic. I went into it knowing that this was one of the most famous sitcom episodes ever. Like, it truly was. Like, it's, it's legendary. Again, like, it's in at least one clip show at a major award <laughs> show every year. <laughs> but this was the episode Where I felt like the Mary character having the obligation to be the one person who doesn't laugh, like, kind of felt the most artificial. And it is a perfectly written episode. And again, it was only my first time seeing it. So maybe it's as much about expectations I carried into it as anything else. But this kind of wasn't like the least strong episode for me.
3: I thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah. Like, when you tell me, like, this is one of the, you know, most noteworthy sitcom episodes of all time, it does get hyped up, and I thought it was fine, you know? It wouldn't be on my top ten list.
1: I hear what you guys are saying. I agree with you to an extent in that, like, I think the other episodes were more kind of snappy and fun. And this was more felt like an admirable episode where I could kind of see Mm -hmm. it being written in a way. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. I I liked that it was about morbid humor and, you know, kind of almost diving into like what is funny, what is not okay to laugh about.
2: Oh, yeah. I would love to read the script of this episode. Like, it's a perfectly written episode.
1: Yeah, and as we're in sort of a dark time now, I just sort of enjoyed that examination into what is okay to laugh at and what is not, because I think that's a question that comes up a lot. Yeah, I really, overall, just enjoyed watching this show. I could definitely see myself watching more. In fact, I did. I watched the last episode, which made me cry.
3: Does she have it all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, she actually doesn't. It's a very, it's kind of a bit of ending.
3: What does she have? Ending. Does she have some?
2: <laughs> she loses her job. <laughs> oh no oh no and that's it that hits way too close to home (laughs) yeah i will avoid that episode for a while
1: well you have the rest of the show and it's like 100 something episodes. yeah 168
2: yeah i've got a bit to go was the finale good with like was it a good finale it's
1: great it's also considered one of the best (laughs) episodes of hmm. this show and all television so wow um yeah it's super great
2: I'm really happy that we're doing this episode and I'm especially happy that I got to watch this show. I'm really excited to watch it. And also, we have sung the praises of Miss Betty White before, <laughs> but Betty White is such a great addition to this show. She's exactly the same. <laughs> she is. <as> she so <laughs> is. Betty White.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's really funny on this show,
2: too. And the
1: one thing that's a little different is she's a little bit of a home wrecker, even though she's a <laughs> homemaker in her professional career. She's known as the happy homemaker, but she also has like extramarital affairs and is kind of also
2: kind of a, a she's got a bit of Blanche, mm-hmm. bit of Blanche in her. Yeah. She's a stealth bitch. <laughs> Isn't
3: that what we discussed that she was going to be Blanche in the Golden Girls, but then she decided not That's to do That's true. Yeah. true. Yeah. true. It was too much
0: like
1: callback. Yeah. So one of the reasons we may not have watched t- a ton of Mary Tyler Moore or any Mary Tyler Moore, as we discovered is that it was replaced by the Munsters in 1995 <laughs> in the lineup. The Munsters made its television debut on CBS on September 24th, 1964, airing for two seasons until cancellation in May of 1966, with 70 episodes in total.
2: Wait, only two seasons? Indeed.
1: Yes, it was...
2: Wow. Wait, but also 70 episodes?
1: Yeah. <laughs> in
2: two seasons?
1: That's how they did back then. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. Uh, one of the reasons for cancellation was Batman. Batman goes and fucks things up again.
0: <laughs> Why? Because
1: <laughs> it was so popular and it was in color.
3: Oh, uh, was the monsters never in color?
1: No, there was no time because oh. they canceled it. Obviously, like, it took off on the universal monsters like Frankenstein. Um, dracula so shooting it in black and white made sense in that way to call back to those old movies but it was Mm -hmm. also cheaper and this was a case as we'll see with some of these other shows where surprisingly networks made decisions that were for the bottom line and may have ended up hurting them because if this they shot the pilot i believe in color and then um decided to go black and white which i think actually probably works better for this show but it at the time you know it was not what was hip and cool in the mid 60s
3: what came first the adams family or the monsters
1: this premiere aired six days after the adams family
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay so one of the first thoughts i had was like the monsters and the adams family were the volcano and dante's peak of their time yeah of course yeah I cannot believe that they were, like, that close together.
3: Six days.
1: (laughs) Six days.
2: Was it seven nights? No, it was two years.
1: (laughs) They were both canceled after two seasons. The Munsters was on one month longer than
2: The Adam Family. Well,
3: considering they're the same show, I guess it's, like, four seasons.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Again, I I watched The Monsters on many a Saturday morning, Rising with the Sun, but pretty much any episode of this show was going to be totally interchangeable, and any episode of this series with the Addams Family would also be completely interchangeable.
3: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. I, I have a question. What what is Lily Munster? Is she just goth? <laughs> she's a
2: vampire, apparently. She
3: is because mm. the son.
2: But is she though? But is she?
3: Eddie Munster's a werewolf. The niece is, you know, a normal human. Grandpa's a vampire, and Herman is a Frankenstein. Is she supposed to be a bride of Frankenstein? But like, what that? What does that make her? Is she a monster? She's just into weird dudes.
2: Here's the thing: she's just a knockoff Morticia. <laughs> she's just. The knockoff. So she's just goth. <laughs> she's the Kmart version <laughs> of Morticia Adams.
3: <laughs> mm, okay.
1: But not really because they were developed at the same time.
3: Well, Morticia's better.
2: I found this show to be very harmless, kind of fun. And that's about it.
3: <laughs> you know what? I would turn this on if I was hosting a Halloween party and I had other music playing, but I needed just yes. like a visual on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> <Totally>.
2: <laughs> so I don't know what that says about <laughs> That's totally and like it's a party where you have a punch bowl filled with a bunch of different boozes all mixed together <laughs> and red yeah. food dye and it's got spooky eyeballs or gummy worms in it Yeah, like
3: a cheesy halloween party totally this tv show is all gimmick it was just a hokey sitcom with like oh what if they were weird what if they were monsters <laughs> yeah i i was not into it what I am into is the theme song, which I think is iconic.
2: Yes, it is one of the very best theme songs. I mean so many of these shows have fantastic theme tunes, but The Monsters is one of the very best. Like the Oh yeah, the, the surf surf rock? guitar so great. in it. It is very so groovy. Chris, that is what I read. Groovy <laughs> is the perfect word, thank you.
1: Yeah, so the episodes we watched for this, we don't need to go into, like, I don't think too much about them, but they were just another pretty face from season one, episode 17, in which Herman Munster is transformed into a normal human and the most beautiful ghoul in the world from season two, in which Lily Munster gets an inheritance, so they split it between a beauty parlor and uh, inventing wireless (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're pretty similar. I think what you guys are saying is, right, that This is pretty much just a traditional sitcom. It's very broad, and it just Mm -hmm. happens that they are dressed as monsters, which doesn't really even factor in the plot that much. I was hoping for a little bit more darker humor or humor around them being kind of like outsiders. You get a little of that in the second episode where like Lily Munster is doing makeovers on women, and she does these makeovers that make them look like basically the Bride of Frankenstein. And that was like probably the funniest part of... The show it's a legal document
0: from our cousin wolverine's lawyer in the old country cousin wolfie but he passed away three years ago i know but he's just done it again <laughs> <laughs> and this time he's left us ten thousand dollars Boy, can we use this money or can't we? Herman, we sure can. Now, look, we'll sink it into one of my inventions. Now, as soon as we cash the check. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not going to have you two fritter away this money on some silly invention. Oh,
3: that was really grating.
2: <laughs> yeah, I hated that episode. <laughs> I did not like it at all. Again, it's like, Chris, I think the spirit that you're talking about is very much the spirit of the Barry Sonnenfeld Addams Family movies, not really even of the original series of the Adams Family. But again, this just kind of feels like a ripoff of it that happened to come out at the exact same time.
1: <laughs> there was Dom DeLuise in this. Did you see him mm-hmm. as the doctor? <laughs>
2: I did. And he was funny. And I recognized that he was Dom DeLuise. Uh, Again, I was not taken by this show. As much as I loved apparently to wake up for it (laughs) many, many years ago, I would not wake up for it now.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy somewhat, like, Fred Gwynn's performance as Herman Munster. It's very Cowardly Lion-esque,
2: which was not what I was expecting. The performances, I think, are excellent. Yeah. But I think it's a show that's, like, just those performances, and there's not really anything else to to hang on to for me.
1: I agree. There's a lot of, like, dubious science. I had a lot of questions
2: (laughs) about the plot.
3: Dubious science. But I'm not
2: going to ask. Chris's dubious science corner. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't hold up. It it doesn't check out.
1: doesn't hold up. In a scientific way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that is all for Mondays. We are now moving on to Lucy Tuesdays, the best day of the week, only when it involves Lucy.
3: What's wrong with Tuesdays?
1: They're not Fridays.
3: Well, nothing's Friday except Friday.
2: Well, Friday is casual, and Tuesday is taco, so... (laughs) And that'll wrap up our first installment of this episode about Nick at Night's Block Party Summer. Stay tuned in a couple days for the conclusion of this episode. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or anywhere you get your fine podcast products. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so that more people will check out the show and contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash we so we can make more episodes. I've been Seth Pearson, and we'll see you next time.
0: And you, Babaloo! Babaloo! babaloo, babaloo how's your EU? EU. Don't despair. After three hours of I Love Lucy, you could sound just like a Ricardo. <laughs> aye, 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 aye. Watch Lucy Tuesday during Block Party Summer on Nick at Night.